Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Tina. Uh, what can I say? Um, we leave the air last week, and within hours, the collective Jewish heart around the world is pierced by the uh, by the news of what happened in Chalamish. Um it is. I pointed out earlier in the week when Rabbi Fast was on, and maybe it's a, maybe it's such a. I don't know how important a point it is or not, but as terror attacks go, and imagine that we're now in the in the business of classifying terror attacks, as horrible as each one of them is, uh, when when the terrorist invades someone home on a Friday night, a situation all of us can relate to, it seems to pierce the collective Jewish heart and affect the collective Jewish pain even more so. Uh, have you seen the headlines, including the New York Times headline, about last Friday night's episode? I've seen the headlines uh, all over the world, BBC, other places where they talk about the mythological temples, yet they uh, give credibility to the fact that Muhammad ascended from the wall after his death. Let me read to you last Saturday morning's New York Times headline. Deadly violence erupts in standoff over mosque in Jerusalem. Six people ended up dead after an apparent terrorist attack in the West Bank and clashes in Jerusalem over metal detectors at entrances to the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound. They're actually blaming the Chalamish attack on the installation of medical detectors, metal detectors at that point at Harabayat. Well, it is, it is related to it, and there were other attacks as well. Thank God they did, did not succeed as this did. And the, the, and there were worse headlines that actually ascribed this all to, you know, Israelis killing Palestinians and then noting that two Israelis also died, not that this was an attack on Israeli policemen there to guard Muslim worshippers and that the installation of metal detectors, something that is done around the world, including for Jews going to the Kotel, to the wall, I mean, they have made the point that we all go through a metal detector, that the Vatican has it, that Moscow all over the world have it, and yet the media distortions and misrepresentations around the world, and I'm saying going to more, even more, to, to some fundamental points about it, and dismissing, in many cases, Halamisha and saying it's a settler, an attack on settlers, as if that's warranted or, or somehow less of a crime or not a crime at all. The media coverage in, in general uh, on a lot of these issues, and you have to then look if they're Palestinian stringers and, and people who ha- carry a, an agenda, who uh, even if it's in New York Times, most of them have cut back their presence in, uh, in Israel and around the world, and therefore they rely on local stringers uh, for the story. And the 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 whole idea that this is somehow that the metal detectors are a violation or any kind of an insult, when in fact it is uh, it is Muslims in prayer a prayer who will be uh, protected after finding weapons cache all over the Temple Mount, indicating waqf collusion in this. Uh, and that the the uh, you know there were additional weapons, another knapsack of one of those who was killed, um, which was full of uh, of additional weapons. So uh, one of the Arabs that was killed. So this and they and they were Israeli Arabs, by the way. 
So this is, uh, it, it is really regrettable to see it. And then, of course, it was compounded by the incident in Jordan, which uh, raised the, the um, uh, hackles even more and, and complicated the case, that not, not a black and white case and not even necessarily a case of terrorism from the information that seems to be coming out. Let's go back to the first part for a second, then I want to get to Jordan. But on the first part, um, based on your statement, unless I'm reading it wrong or I'm reading into it something that, uh, you know, that, that something extra, it, it seems that you are ready to, that you have publicly disagreed with the with the uh, administration in Jerusalem about the removal of the metal detectors. I, I, that's a decision they have to make. It's not a decision we sitting here can second guess. But uh, I would say that uh, um, one has to see that there are downsides to the decision that was made because terrorists will now, and, and you see that the demonstrations and the, um, the euphoric reaction, as one person there told me, uh, of the Arabs, that this will become a modus vivendi for them, that they will know that if you put enough pressure, you, you demonstrate in the streets, you can always mobilize people, as Abbas has done so often, saying Al-Aqsa is under siege, uh, and that is a, a, an automatic uh, rallying point and, and raises the the tension level uh, immediately, uh, so removing it and appearing to succumb to pressure is uh, has consequences. I'm not second guessing the decision. They have police, they have security people. They know what what the traffic can bear. And the question is, are where they're not more high tech methods, such as the ones they have in place. They have cameras all over uh, Jerusalem. They are able to monitor. Uh, as one police official told me, the movements generally. Uh, so then why put up the metal detectors in the first place? These are all legitimate questions that people have asked. Uh, I think it's it's you know a decision that a, a government has to make based on all the facts that they have. The White House applauded the way Jerusalem handled this. Um, weren't you surprised that they had any statement at all to make about this episode with the removal of the metal detectors? No, I think that it's that, that Israel, American representatives were intimately involved in discussions, both with Jordan and with the Israeli officials about it. They had urged uh, Israel to consider steps to defuse it. They also told Abbas to take steps to defuse it. And the fact is that Abbas has done anything but that. And, and if you uh, see that he is also talking now uh, and had given instructions to begin approaching the International Criminal Court in The Hague and to join 28 international organizations as a state. He, he sent a message to the residents of eastern Jerusalem saying, Jerusalem is ours and it is our capital, and you're correct in what you're doing, and we support what you're doing, uh, that what, what you did and do and uh, are doing, so meaning that they should uh, continue. And he, he allocated $25 million, all of a sudden, that he had for, uh, for East Jerusalem. This is, remember, all to improve his standing. He, he is very low. He's being challenged in Gaza by Dahlan coming back and the, and the Hamas deal, etc. It's all interrelated. His standing in the West Bank areas is very low. So here he has been given a new lease on life. He's suddenly emerged again and gets sympathetic statements out of Europeans. And now, according to the, the, his own law, the people who carried out the attack in Halamish will get $3,300 plus each month. This is the fourth time what the average Palestinian earns, about 
a million two hundred and eleven thousand for the thirty years that um, uh, goes that, to that, that guy's family will be sentenced to. It's the normal uh, term. So about five hundred million dollars of that money comes from the U.S. and and you saw Congress moving again this week, giving expression to the increasing frustration with Abbas and with his um, his assertions and. Which is, brings me to one other thing, and that is the State Department report, which was outrageous and which we criticized very much. Um, it was a, a, a conglomeration of past statements going back to all the Obama years, 2011, 10, 14. In other words, it praises Abbas for his progress in the incitement area. It goes so far, it's almost hard to believe the State Department people obviously took old reports and cobbled it together. Uh, and they can say it's for a lot of reasons. They don't have the staff there. They're, you know, they're very short. Uh, there are 100 employees waiting to be appointed that uh, or confirmed that uh, these are all carryovers from earlier years. But it talks about um, explicit calls for violence against Israelis or excitations against Jews are rare because of the leadership, under the leadership, uh, uh, not tolerating it of, of Abbas, and says that since 2005, when he took over, he has worked assiduously to stop incitement, when he himself is the guy naming squares and, and, and um, inciting the violence and calling for uh, that Al-Aqsa is under siege and denying the existence of the temples, and that the State Department report shifts the onus onto Israel for the violence, although it takes note of violence against Israel. And one would have thought that they would at least have said, look, you know, we're under a lot of stress and we review it. They doubled down on it in response to the criticism. They said, no, we stand by the report, and, you know, this is the situation where it's really balanced, and it is not. And to think in 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 light of Obviously, the statements coming out of the White House are completely incongruous with with the attitude that we've seen uh, manifest there. Unbelievable. Uh, And your statement was extremely strong about this, which was, uh, and now we hear it in your voice, just how outrageous uh, this is. Because it has consequences. People, other countries will use it, organizations, BDS organizations, others will use it and say, look, it's not us, look at the State Department under the Trump administration. They can put out a, their, their study sets, their annual report, yeah. rather. And it's, it's, it's usually a bogus document. I mean, it's often been, uh, you know, one-sided slams against Israel and distortion of the reality. It doesn't mean they can't criticize Israel. Israel makes mistakes, too. But this is not an issue of, of making mistakes. This is a, a, a complete distortion of, of the reality. And to say that Abbas has worked to, to do it, and he c- took control of the uh, Friday sermons in the mosque when the, uh, the leader at Al-Aqsa, the imam at Al-Aqsa, talked about the slaughtering of Jews just last Friday and the, and the continuing payment of the funds and his refusal to back off of it. And I'm telling you, he, this, this was planned. They were waiting for the opportunity to to explode in this way, he he wanted to threaten. He has threatened BB with breaking cooperation, and I think they were just looking for the opportunity in order to do it. Reminiscent of uh, you know the Intifada starting because Ariel Sharon visited the Temple Mount. You know, any excuse to to either incite violence or to actually be violent or to cut off ties with Israel. But they try to point to that as a provocation, which is right. also outrageous. But here's well, there's also a provocation. The, yeah, but they're but, nothing. You're correct, I mean, but they're detectors. but they're saying it is. But they're saying it is. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying metal detectors aren't even should not even be right. 
given an ounce of credulity as a as a, a, a provocation, and and that's why the United States demanded that he end the incitement, that he uh, uh, do the the, the uh, Security Council back to form. You know, talked about um, a new threat to international peace and security, metal detectors. That's a threat to security, and the. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it sounds funny, but it's it's ridiculous, and and we should not uh, underestimate what this what this means elsewhere. At the the in the whole Arab Muslim world, this is something that draws people into the streets, and we know in the climate now in the Middle East, all of that can have real serious uh, ramifications. Yeah. They barricade themselves in Al-Aqsa. They and you know they started throwing stones on the people at the hotel. And, 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 and frankly, it seems it encourages people, according to them at least, to walk into people's homes and, and stab people to death on a Friday night as well. That's right. And then they, quote, justify it, or the, the um, motivation, but the motivation is a cumulative effect of all of the in, indoctrination and all the incitement. That's why it's so important to understand that it's not because they say something nasty about us. People have done that for thousands of years, but, right. but then and now... Where these words have consequences. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at AlchemSingle.com on the AlchemSingle network and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update on this Erev Shabbos Chazon here at JM and the AM. Did you have any problem as some uh, columnists did with the photos from the Chalamish terror attack being published? I find it very hard to look at and very hard to, uh, you know, to see. But I think people have to understand the brutality of this murder of people sitting at a Friday night meal celebrating the birth of a grandson. That's why the door they they opened the door to a knock, and the guy was dressed in a, with the yarmulke, and I think uh, to dress to look like a religious Jew, and they let him in, and he just carried out the attack. Uh, all right, to Jordan. Uh, do I have the story right? An Israeli security guard at the embassy is attacked, ends up killing the attacker and one other person. And then the question is what type of diplomatic immunity he has and whether he can go to Israel. Is that essentially what happened? Well, he is in Israel, and he returned. They, right, me, right, I'm saying, but they went right after it happened, then they negotiated to get him out, right? Yeah, but it wasn't just about his immunity, and there's still... It's it's still murky about exactly what happened, whether there was an attack or whether it was a terrorist attack, or he reacted to the guy coming with a screwdriver, one of them. But was uh, that the issue that Israel just had to get him out of Jordan? Like that was the big right. that was the big well, negotiation. The, the place was under siege, and getting him out was really critical. They needed to get him out right away, and the ambassador because the, there was they were in jeopardy. And then Jordan wanted to put him on trial, and now is demanding that Israel put him on trial. And they will no doubt do a very thorough investigation. Uh, what really ticked off the king was that Netanyahu personally welcomed him when they had an understanding that they would low-key it. Ah. And, um, uh, you know, there was the picture of him sitting with him as if he were some anti-terror hero when that may not have been the case. Got it. And um, is this... Uh, are you surprised that the king even let him go? That he wasn't, you know... If just to satisfy his own people, I would guess, you know, more strongly trying to keep him in Jordan? Well, we have to know what the understanding was, what what conditions were set, and, um, you know, the king 
is very reliant on Israel right now because of the, uh, the situation on the Golan. On the Golan. Mm. And protection Israel, you know, helps a lot with Jordanian security, and the king and, and Netanyahu have generally had a good relationship. Uh, this, I think, set back. He was he was very upset. The uh, and he understood the danger that they were in. That people, when you have a mob like that, they could easily lynch, lead to a lynching or something, as we've seen in the past. So they moved their security forces in to protect the Israeli embassy and, and wanted to defuse it uh, that way. And, and that's why he, I think he was more angry about the way the guy was treated when he got back. Could you address um, those of us who live directly, those of us who live in New York State, uh, now that uh, we have a senator, Senator Gillibrand, who uh, not only declares that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu does not have a plan for peace, but says she's giving the anti-BDS bill another look because she's worried about the undermining of free speech. She should read the letters from her colleagues, like Senator Cardin and others, who say that the ACLU slash others' effort to undermine the, the bill is is misguided. It is simply outrageous. When she voted against the Iran law afterwards, she, she tried to assure us and uh, I think that this is uh, a sign of her true colors. I don't think that there's any excuse uh, for for what she said, that she had the privilege to meet with the Prime Minister and says that he only said that he has no plan for peace and no vision for peace when, when he has been pushing, trying to get and spoke for uh, about a two-state solution four or five times. He has talked about direct negotiations without conditions. He's put himself out on, on this issue, and the United States government has made clear where, who, who is the obstacle uh, to peace uh, in, in the last uh, half year and more. And, the, and for the senator from the United States to get up in front of an audience and see the reaction of the young people um, at Hostess Community College in the Bronx uh, to, to the question which challenged Israel and the, and the BDS, and not to have use that opportunity to educate them and say, look, Israel is our greatest ally, what Israel stands for, what Israel is doing for the Syrians, what Israel is, is doing for uh, others, and, and tell the story of Israel. But instead to say that she has promised that Netanyahu has no vision for peace, I mean, it's outrageous, and I hope people will let her know. Breaking. Oh, by the way, um, does it pay to also? We have to let her know, correct, and react to what she said. Uh, but we always have had the impression that Senator Schumer is a mentor of hers. Would uh, it pay to to direct some comments to him as well about his junior senator, or that's not important? Well, he's not. I, I think that those days were over a long time ago. Remember, he came out against the Iranian right. uh, bill and, and many other things, and I, 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 he would not say a similar thing. I think it's. Uh, Really, it, it, it stands on its own, and, and she stands on her own, and, and she has to hear it from people. And the problem is that people get outraged. They will tell me how bad it is, but they don't tell her. Right. And, that's and that's really not helpful. Uh, she has to hear it from constituents and people. She has broader aspirations than just being a senator from New York. And um, I think, you know, she has a tendency to use blue language and to be to use explicit. I think, you know, in this case, I don't suggest that people do that. I hope they don't, but and, and address her in appropriate terminology. Right. But she's... Uh, she has a habit of liking headlines. Hey, she likes headlines and she wants attention, yeah. 
um, higher aspirations. Not not much room after U.S. Senator, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there is always room at the top. But, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and people have distorted images of themselves or of the political situation, and many have uh, aspirations, and you never know. You know, we had a, a president who was a senator for two years, and nobody would have predicted it. Yeah. We have a president now who, who was never in government, and I don't think anybody predicted that when he started. I know the person or two who did say he'd win, but yeah, you're correct. Generally speaking, yeah, I mean, uh, most people political so. pundits I'm talking. Yeah, about. I know <laughs> that's true. I never thought of, it's the non-professionals who were right in that election. That's true. Mm-hmm. Breaking news from Israel: According to Jerusalem Post, the Palestinian attempted to carry out a stabbing attack at the Gush Etzion Junction in the West Bank Friday afternoon. Their words: The West Bank, according to an army statement, the assailant arrived at the scene with a knife, ran toward IDF forces. The forces fired at the attacker. He was neutralized and reportedly died from his wounds. Uh, there was a breaking story yesterday that Prime Minister Netanyahu offered to transfer Israeli Arab towns to the Palestinians, I guess he means to the PA officially, right, in exchange for annexing settlements. Can you tell us about this? Well, there are these reports, and this is not the first time that we've seen it, that uh, uh, this is one of the schemes that has come up about um, how you lock in the blocks and that you would transfer uh, some of the areas. It'll define which areas. If they're giving them a fachum from where the killers came uh, to the Temple Mount, a lot of people would be in favor of it. Lieberman has called for transferring it. Others have in the past, um, and it's uh, you know it's an area where we know that the Islamists and the the Muslim the equivalent of the Muslim Brotherhood in Israel have have uh, long been active, and uh, but so it's not. A novel idea. The question is: Was this uh, a, a part of a larger package, or was this just simple, simply an idea that was thrown out or proposed to show some change that that you give over more areas to them to be responsible for their own cities, etc., to show that the the people on the ground that there's a, a change. And would it have gone? As I mean, I don't even know if you know the details of the of the deal, but would it have gone to the extent of of all the blocks, all the major blocks being? Uh, incorporate an annex by Israel, or this was, you know, some of them, or a, a very small gesture, any idea? I, I always am skeptical of the reports that we see until we hear it, that the Prime Minister's office or somebody releases the actual document, uh, but from what I heard, it was the blocks, the major blocks. Wow, pretty amazing. Um, a little little bit of turmoil in the White House. Do you do you suspect that, uh, that um, the Secretary of State, excuse me, that the Attorney General might step down? No, I don't believe he'll step down. He may get fired, but right. he's not going to step down. And with all the chaos and, and turmoil, would you prefer if Jared Kushner, because so many people identify him with our community, would not be in the headlines as often as he is, especially regarding the Russia probe? That's not a decision. I, well, he didn't ask to be in the headlines uh, on the Russian probe or anything else. I think he, he wasn't seeking that. Uh, and uh, I think that the um, decisions like this are have to be made by the people involved to see that uh, somebody who obviously cares as he does about uh, many of the issues of concern to us is there is important. Um, I think there's there in, in general in the administration that there is a lot of lack of experience, that there is a lot of infighting, and the, and the problem is that it's all public infighting. Every administration has it, but it's really so so publicized and so leaked all the time, and I think that's why Scaramucci was so upset with the, you know, sourcing the leaks, uh, and the president clearly is unhappy about it. The the question about um, sessions, but the, the fact that senators 
were going on record saying that if he moves against him or the special prosecutor, that they would not appoint another one, that they would not accept it, uh, has to put the White House uh, on notice. And it's it's regrettable that the, these diversions occur when you still don't have many people in place, so the people there really carry additional burdens and have so many critical issues from North Korea, Iran. We don't, we don't even talk now about all the developments in, in various areas, the missile launched by Iran of a, with a, of a new missile, a ballistic missile, and an announcement of a new production line for the Sayat 3 but they put a, a satellite up this week, and this has aroused a lot of concern. As you know, Congress moved <coughs> new sanctions against Iran. The president is going to have to make a decision about whether vetoes, but he, he will most likely not, because the vote in the Senate on some of these sanctions bills is 98 to 2, and in the House it's also 98% plus. So you have, and, and for the president to suffer another um, political defeat would be very uh, uh, unseemingly right now, and, and uh, add to the perceptions of, uh, of the current situation. So um, I think that that we have to focus people on the issues. Uh, there are people who are pressing that the United States should demand that uh, Iran give access to the IEA, the National Atomic Energy Agency, to the military sites to test them, to see before the next um, period of every 90 days the president has to certify. You know, he did it. It was done based on a, on a split decision within the in the administration. There were those who were against renewing it. There were those who were for it. president allowed it to happen now, but made very clear that he isn't going to do it again, and he's going to put the Iranians to the test. Iran reacts and threatens all sorts of things if they do it. But the fact is that, that, the, that when you ask many senators and others who voted for the bill, do they have second thoughts? Many do. They don't say necessarily they would have changed their votes but or won't admit to it, but they do admit that there are, that Iran has not complied in many respects, to certainly to the spirit the law and the new sanctions deal with their missile program, with the violation of human rights, the support for terrorism. Look what they're doing in Syria. Look what they're doing throughout the region today and around the world. Uh, so there were people who said, well, we have to fix the flaws in it. There are others who want to see it completely uh, dismissed. The Europeans say that they will continue to abide by it, if, even regardless of what the United States does. But frankly, if companies have to make a choice between doing business in Iran and doing business with the United States, the choice is an easy one. Yeah, I guess. Well, in your opinion and most of our opinions, but uh, not everybody in the world agrees with that, I guess. Huh? No, they would agree with it, but they have to see that, that the swift sanctions and other things that uh, com- countries and companies, and some even from the United States, Boeing, others, um, should be put on notice that, that the sale of, of planes, including to Asaman Airlines, which we know is servicing the, uh, the Iranians in, in Syria, uh, they're moving ahead with their bases. They're expanding their influence. They're trying to take over additional areas and move closer to the border, the the road through Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon is is moving ahead, which will give them access to the whole region. I mean, Iran is not sitting on its hands during all, all of this. And um, and do they care? I know it sounds like a crazy question, but do, do they care? Do they? Who? Iran, when they hear about the sanctions, and of they, course they care. They do Their care. economy is. They, they admit that they're going to have almost eight percent inflation in the cities, but they don't talk about the high level, the true high level of unemployment. Their economy is not doing well as long as oil prices stay low. It's uh, That is their major source of income. 
they are are selling oil. They are selling other goods, and um, and too many companies, big companies, are have talked about investments. We don't know how many just end up being headlines and how many really uh, uh, materialize completely. But the economy and uh, is vulnerable, and the additional pressure the United States brings to bear, and we should do be more doing more with the dissident elements inside Iran, the very courageous people who are, are, are doing things. How did, how did they get away with it? How, did they, uh, how, how does the government not crack down on them constantly? They do. And there are many of them in jail, and they're very courageous. And sometimes, you know, they do it without their names. They don't do it publicly because then you get the besiegee come in. They go on a campus. They go anywhere else. Where they are they of all respect. ages or it's youth-driven? I would say it's more youth, but it's it's not limited to that. When there were bus drivers went on strike, when others, when teachers went on strike, that's when these were not uh, youngsters. We know that on the campuses there is a strong foment, but frankly, they don't get any support from the West, so they put their lives on the line. And they've often told us that uh, you know they were deeply disappointed during the uh, when Colin Powell avoid. Uh, um, uh, you know, refused to support them, and when Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, refused to support them, and during the Green Revolution, we had great opportunities, and and now they feel that the West, you know, talks big, but when it comes to it, is not willing to stand with them. I want to continue on this, but first, one of our commenters on the app asks: Is there any truth that metal detectors were removed in a swap with Jordan for the prisoner? Is that possible? It's possible. I don't know exactly what they said. First of all, it was all, you know, it's not, a lot of this was not writing. It was right. a uh, discussion. But you wouldn't be two. shocked if you heard that that was true. Yeah, but I think the decision to remove it was made first. I think it, right. it really preceded it. There obviously was some discussion of things, but, you know, the Prime Minister and the King talked frequently, and uh, I, I, I believe that the decision on the um, detectors, per se, was made earlier. Removing the cameras may have been an additional thing, saying that they'll remove all of the stuff that they installed. Uh, could have been a, a pledge to the king, but I think the, the terms here, it was not in Jordan's interest to keep this and let the demonstrations escalate, because that poses a threat to the king as well. Right, understood. Um, Nikki Haley uh, spent some time this week uh, trying to encourage the U.N. to get serious about disarming Hezbollah and use the opportunity to explain and describe the Iranian influence with them and others in the Middle East. Is she spending an unusual amount of time on this um, at the U.N. or, you know, all U.N. ambassadors from the United States, you know, would, would spend time? It seems to me like, you know, she's just not letting up, which is great, but I'm just saying that, she, that you know, we have somebody at the U.N. who's not letting up on these topics. And I think she gets more attention for what she says and uh, speaks more forcefully. There was too often that you had mealy-mouthed statements uh, at the United Nations um, by Europeans, by, even by America sometimes. Uh, she is speaking very directly and forcefully. Uh, we had ambassadors over the years who were more absentee. She's there and plugging away. Um, she also has aides, I think, who, who are supportive of it. And sometimes you've had other, uh, other, on the, other ambassadors, uh, let's say, less supportive uh, people. So it's a combination of things that, uh, and her high profile as someone who has um, consistently been out front. And and remember, you don't have Tillerson making many statements. Right. You don't have others doing it. So. Her, her visibility has increased. We don't even know how long Tillerson's going to last. 
Um, well, after this report, it raises a lot of questions. And if they hadn't doubled down, that's the problem. They should have, could have simply said, I will review it. I understand the concerns, and I will review it. Instead, the spokesman gets up there and starts trying to justify what's in this report. I think it makes it all the more outrageous. And on the Hezbollah issue, sorry about that, with the Hezbollah issue with Nikki Haley, uh, I know we discussed this last week to an extent, but you still, even with this buildup and even with the recognition that uh, I, and the prominence, it seems, that Iran gives them in terms of, you know, one of their, uh, uh, one of their um, military arms or, you know, serious presence in the Middle East or representatives in the Middle East, nonetheless, you're not at the point where you're nervous that they would actually start up with Israel on the northern border. They do not want a war. That doesn't mean they won't start up. They're starting up all the time. They're building up their presence there. They're trying to encroach on the area. That's why the Russians have put up checkpoints in the region to supposedly also keep Hezbollah away, but also to assert their control. Um, the, the, the Iranians, and that means the Hezbollah and the militias and the IRGC and all of their elements there, the, the tens of thousands of, of soldier fighters, terrorists that they have there, um, uh, are aligned and move and trying to consolidate their position uh, all the time, and and we see the build up and the underground facilities in in southern Lebanon, as well as now the new missile manufacturing plant underground, et cetera. Their consolidation of their position within the Lebanese government. And I think the reason why we're getting so much attention now is because the worst statements by administration officials about wanting to arm uh, the Lebanese army or, or talking about it as if it is still a separate entity. It is not. Hezbollah and the Lebanese army and government are one. They had they the, the last Lebanese war, if you remember, Israel was restricted in its response because the Lebanese army and the Lebanese government were separate. So it was they were not punishing them, they were punishing Hezbollah. Today, they are one, and therefore, uh, the comments about somehow separating uh, the occasion was the visit of President Hariri of uh, Lebanon to to Washington um, occasioned some of these uh, statements. Uh, Monday night is Tisha B'Av, and as difficult as things are, and especially those of us who would like to see different uh, Harabayat, the Temple Mount, be handled differently. Uh, nonetheless, uh, many rabbis this week have encouraged people to visit Harabayat, obviously in the approved areas, uh, because of how important it is to show the world that it is important to us and we physically have to do so. And Malcolm, I'm sure you would agree that with all the difficult news these days, as we approach the day that uh, commemorates the anniversary of the destruction of the temple, thank God we live in a unique generation where the arrow is pointing up or we are going in the direction of actually having real sovereignty over the Temple Mount very soon. And look at all the new discoveries and everything that, that again, uh, a new one this week, which we can talk about in, in the future, but talks about the the evidence of the Babylonian destruction of, of Jerusalem just days before Tisha B'Av to unearth these artifacts from the K- Kingdom of Judea and from the First Temple period, and the clear evidence of the destruction of the city. All of these are messages to us. People should not be dissuaded from going to Israel, going to Yerushalayim. Now, visit there. Don't don't let them, uh, by abandoning it or by making a decision not to go, where they are willing to go and, and assert, and every day, every minute, assert their control, their, their uh, um, sovereignty over the site. That's what this is about. It's not about metal detectors. It's not about the cameras. 
It's about the right of Jews, about Israeli Jewish sovereignty and Israeli sovereignty. It's about Jewish history. It's about the Jewish faith. It's about the Jewish state. It's about the Jewish people that they have declared war on. And and we cannot be silent in the face of that. That's why these issues take on such importance and significance. And we, we cannot allow, whether it's a State Department report or anything else, just to pass and when a senator makes comments like that, they have to hear. And if they don't hear from everybody, then we all become complicit in in uh, in these violations and, and really horrific acts. So the, the ultimate lesson, though, is that the one key element is the unity of the Jewish people. And at a time when we have issues that are dividing Jews, we have to reemphasize the unity of the Jewish people and our unity with uh, with Israel. I thank you. I'll, I'll take your words to heart. Heading to Israel Thursday and Friday. We'll be there uh, broadcasting from Israel. We'll return with the weekly update two weeks from today. Have an easy fast and a wonderful Shabbos. You too, until Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings here at JM in the AM. <laughs>